My parents came to faith when I was a young child. And like those who come to faith later in life, they were all in on making up for lost time. And so we went to a, a Baptist church here in town when I was young. And when I say we went to that Baptist church, I meant we went to church. <laughs> Sunday morning service, Sunday morning Sunday school, Sunday evening uh, church, Sunday evening youth group, Tuesday night evangelism explosion, Tuesday night boys brigade, Wednesday night prayer meeting. We went to church a lot. And I didn't particularly enjoy it. <laughs> and so I would ask my parents, why do we got to go to church all the time? And my parents were newer Christians, and so they went and asked the pastor of the church. And he gave some answers that were relayed to me like, well, it's important and it's tradition. And by the way, Hebrews 10.25 says, don't forsake assembling yourselves together. Well, when that answer was relayed to me, <clears throat> I thought to myself, that's it, one verse? We're doing all this stuff for one verse? <laughs> and it doesn't even have the word church in it. I was like, well, my brother and I, when we play video games together, we're both Christians. We're kind of assembling. Doesn't that count? <laughs> Apparently it didn't. So we kept going to church. And I will say there were some things I did start to appreciate about it, and there were some blessings that I experienced in it. Uh, well, the years went by, and then it was time to go off to uh, university. And my parents had one rule when I went off to school, and that was find a local church. And so by that point, um, you know, I had learned to recognize that God was at work in my parents' life. And uh, I began to appreciate, you know what, uh, if they're telling me to do this, this is probably a good thing. And they were also paying for the tuition, so that was motivation uh, to do that. And so when I got to university, I did two things. One, I joined a group called Campus Crusade for Christ, and I got involved in a small local church uh, in Ann Arbor where I was going to school. Now, while I was doing that, uh, you know, the Campus Crusade for Christ, to be honest, I like that a lot better than church. Because we got together on Thursday nights, it was all kids, uh, students about my age, there was lots of energy and excitement, it was cool, it was fun, the worship was great, the teachings seemed sort of relevant, and church, well, that was a little bit different, and so I went to crusade every Thursday night and just loved it, and church, yes, I dutifully went, and it was good, I don't want to give the wrong impression, but man, I kept thinking to myself, can't we just call the crusade church and then I don't have to get up on Sunday mornings but I had made a promise to my parents and so I continued to go to church but as the years went by in school I noticed a couple of things one that as I got closer and closer to graduating it seemed that in campus crusade they didn't sort of have as much time for me I wasn't kind of the focus anymore it was always hey we got to keep focusing on freshmen and sophomores and there didn't seem to be as much of a place for me, whereas in my local church, they seemed to have more and more opportunities for me to be involved. And so by the end of my time in university, I was heavily involved in my local church and not as much involved in Campus Crusade anymore. And I was really loving church. It was really great. I also noticed something else. It was anecdotal, but I tucked it away in the back of my mind. I noticed that of these students that I had kind of gone through university with, that we were fired up for Jesus. I noticed that those who were involved in crusade who were also involved in a local church, after they graduated, they seemed to stick with Jesus. 
But I noticed there were a number of people who only kind of did uh, Campus Crusade and weren't really involved in a church and that for some of them, after we graduated, they seemed to kind of drift away from Christianity and from Jesus. And so I just sort of noted that. Well, after university, I went off to seminary and the Lord led me uh, to go to seminary. And when I got there, they had one rule, which was you had to be part of a local church. And I thought, finally, somebody's going to be able to explain to me why this is so important. And so I asked my professors, okay, why do we have to go to local church? And they were like, well, Hebrews 10.25 says, don't forsake assembling yourselves together. And I was like, here we go. One verse? Really? Fine. But by this point, I had learned to love church. And so uh, I did. I got involved in church. Uh, I met Lisa, and we, we got heavily involved in her local church and really had an amazing time while we were there. Uh, But I did notice something as well that I anecdotally tucked away in the back of my mind is is that there were some seminary students who ignored the rule and didn't really get involved in church. I think probably because of busyness or other reasons. And I noticed that uh, for those students, seminary had really a a pretty bad effect on their spiritual life. Now, it's difficult for any time you're studying about God, it actually makes it hard to engage with God. And so being in a Christian school and studying about God, that has some hard things for everybody's spiritual life. But I noticed for those who were heavily involved in their local church, that the sort of the negative effects of the academic study of God were less than they were for those who weren't involved in their local church. So I tucked that way in the back of my brain. And then when we were done, we graduated and moved to uh, back here to come to a residency at Calvary Church. And Lisa and I were asked to start a college ministry here at the church. And so we jumped in, uh, you know, full force. And we went to Calvin and Cornerstone. And we invited these students to come be part of the college ministry. And many of them asked the question like, but I go to chapel all, all week long. Why should I come to church? And I was like, uh, Hebrews 10, 25. And they were like, that doesn't have the word church in it. And I was like, I know, I've been saying this my whole life. (laughs) But still, some students from Calvin and Cornerstone did end up coming. And we had a really great college ministry here. And uh, noticed lots of people growing in their faith and some really uh, just amazing things happening in people's life. Well, when the residency was over, the Lord uh, led us to move uh, to England to do some more schooling. And the school that I went to was a research university. And you kind of had to pick a topic that you were going to spend the next however many years uh, researching. And so uh, at the end of an all-night prayer session, it felt like the Lord led me to the topic of why church? And I thought, well, I've been preparing my whole life to finally get an answer to this question. Uh, And I spent time sort of hearing from the Lord and realizing, wow, there's a lot more to this than just kind of one verse in Hebrews 10. And I discovered, hidden in plain sight, the answer to my question about why church in the book of Matthew, chapter 18. So what I'd like to do this morning is I'd like to take you through that passage. Now, for some of you, you may be here and maybe you have the same question. Maybe you were a student like I was a student. Maybe you're a student like I was a student and you're thinking, yeah, I've been asking my parents this all the time. Maybe you're here and you're like, yeah, why are we going through all this stuff? Maybe you've been around Calvary long enough and you already know the answer, you know what I'm going to say, but let's hear it once again from the lips of Jesus, an answer to the question, 
Why are we doing this? Why, church? So if you have a Bible, would you turn to the book of Matthew, chapter 18. Matthew 18, page 799. Now let me say this before we look at our passage. If I had been a sharper Bible student growing up, I wouldn't have just asked Hebrews 1.25, why just one verse? I would have also asked, if church is so important, why does Jesus only mention it twice in the Gospels? He only mentions the word twice in four Gospels. Now the answer to that question is that, number one, the church as we know it hadn't started yet. It's waiting for Jesus' death, burial, resurrection, and for the coming of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost in Acts 2. And so the church from Jesus' time is future. In the book of Revelation, Jesus uses the word church quite a bit. 17 times, actually, in three chapters. And the word and the concept is used hundreds of times between the end of the Gospels and the beginning of the book of Revelation. But still, Jesus only uses the word church twice in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The other sort of important thing to note is is that although Jesus only uses the word twice, both of them are pretty big uses. And they answer the major questions. We already looked at one of the uses, and that's in Matthew chapter 16. And there Jesus is answering the question, what? He says, I will build my church. That's what Jesus is doing right now. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, but he's not currently exercising his lordship over all creation. Right now, he is especially building his church. That's what he's doing. Matthew 18 is the second time that Jesus uses the word church in the Gospels. And here he's answering the big question, why? So let's look at what he says, beginning in verse 15, Matthew 18. If your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you have won them over. But if they will not listen... Take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. And if they refuse to listen even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. Now stop there for a moment. Jesus is dealing with an issue here which is raised by the previous two sections. A couple of weeks ago, Josh Carhan was preaching and he reminded us that as Christians, we can often put stumbling blocks in the paths of other people. We sin against other Christians. We hinder their ability to be able to follow Jesus. Last week as we were talking about the sin of abortion and we were talking about God's love for all people, we mentioned the fact that we as sheep, we as uh, believers or children often wander away and in our wandering we often hurt other people. 
<clears throat> so it's only natural that Jesus would be talking about what should we do if one Christian sins against another Christian? And so that's the context here in talking about uh, what do you do when one person wrongs another person uh, in part of Christianity. But let me be clear that although Jesus is using this to answer the question, why church? Because you're like, well, if one person sins against another person, the last step in the process is you take it to the church. And the question is, why? Why, if two people are having a conflict, would you take it to church? But this is actually just one example of there's lots. We can ask the question, why have a wedding in church? We don't mean the church building. We mean with church people, like, why would it be important that if you were going to get married that you should invite people who are part of your church to join with you? Or we could ask the question, why have a church funeral? The state could handle funerals. Why would we as Christians gather together when someone we love has passed away to encourage one another? This past Tuesday, we had elder prayer with uh, people from the congregation. And the group that I was praying with is re was really powerful to feel the Lord being... Uh, to have us being gathered there together. But we might ask the question, why do corporate prayer? Why come together and pray together? I mean, why not just stay home and pray? We could ask the question, why are we gathering here this morning for worship? You might think, well, because we got an orchestra and we got a band and we got a lead. You can listen to professional quality music on your phone, worship music, and you can worship at home. And so why gather together and do this? We encourage you, if you have non-Christian friends, to bring them with you to church. Why? Why not just tell them about Jesus at your workplace or at your school? Why also encourage you to bring them here? So although Jesus is talking about the issue of discipline or trouble, this is just a launching off point to answer the question, why church? And the answer is given to us is in verses 18, 19, and 20. So let's work our way through this. So Jesus says, in the process, when someone wrongs you, go to them, take a couple of people with you. If that doesn't work, take it to the church. Why? Verse 18. Truly I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. This is the exact same language that Jesus used the other time in Matthew. He used the word church in Matthew 16. And what he's saying in both passages is the exact same thing. Why? Because when we get together and do stuff on earth, it changes things in heaven. When the church gathers together, it changes what's going on in heaven. Why discipline? Why funerals? Why weddings? Why prayer? Why evangelism? Why worship? Jesus' answer is, when you gather together as the church, it changes stuff in heaven. Why? Verse 19. Truly I tell you that two of you on earth agree about anything they ask for, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. The reason why when we gather and do things on earth, it affects things in heaven is because two or three of us gathered together asking God to do something causes something to happen. 
So when you gather at a wedding and you're asking God to bless this bride and the groom, something is happening. When you get together for prayer and you're asking God to do something together, something is happening. When we gather together for worship and we're asking God for him to do something, something happens. Why? Verse 20, and this is the big answer. This is what everything's leading up to. This is the answer hidden in plain sight in Matthew's gospel. Why? For where two or three gather as the church in my name, there am I with them. That's the answer. Why church? Because church is the means, again, not the building, us. This is the means by which Jesus is uniquely present with us. What we're doing here is a relationship with God. We've not gotten together to do religion. We're not here for rules. We're not here for routines. We're here for a relationship with God. And the reason why gathering together as the church is so important is because this is how we meet with God. This is what makes a Christian wedding so, so powerful is that Jesus is present when we gather together. This is what makes a Christian funeral an opportunity to hear and experience comfort, not from each other alone, but from Jesus himself. This is what makes a prayer meeting done in the context of church so powerful. This is why we call the elders of the church to pray over us, is because Jesus is present in a unique way. This is what makes this not just sort of nice TED talk that we're coming to, or not some sort of concert we're participating in what makes this a worship service is that when we gather together Jesus is present in our midst this is the explanation for why as great as Campus Crusade was there was something different happening in the local church and the people who were engaged in the local church their relationship with Jesus was stronger this is the explanation for why being in the midst of a seminary and studying all about God can actually hinder our relationship with God but being involved in a church continued that relationship because Jesus is present this is the answer for why Christian college students whether you're at Cornerstone or Calvin or Grace Christian or wherever you may be even though you're in chapel day after day something different is happening here as the church when we gather together Jesus is present you know what I realized do you know why we went to church so much growing up it wasn't that my parents loved church is that they love Jesus. And I don't know that they could have articulated it back then, but the reason they wanted to be there every time the doors were open is they wanted to be with him every time the doors were open. This is the answer. Hebrews 10 is talking about that. It's an important point. But there's not just one verse. The whole Bible is about this. 
We were designed for relationship with God and church is the means by which that happens. Jesus says the reason we do this is when you gather together as the church, I will be present in your midst. Now this raises a whole host of questions. Like, well, what makes something a church? Why wasn't Campus Crusade a church? Why isn't Cornerstone University a church? This raises the question, well, what about high school ministry? Is high school ministry the church? Is it not the church? How does that work? What about people who are not physically able to be present in church? We experienced that, didn't, didn't we, during COVID? And lots of us felt Wait, something's happening in my relationship with God. I feel more disconnected and distant from him. It wasn't the routines of going to church. It was coming to meet with Jesus. Well, what about people that are not physically able to be here? How does that work? If Jesus is present in church, why sometimes don't I feel him present here? And why sometimes is church the last thing that we want to do? What about people who are sinning in the leadership or in the church? Does that hinder Jesus' presence in the church? Those are all great questions that unfortunately we do not have the time to answer. I did write a book answering all of those questions to try to take some of that stuff that I was studying and put it in a more accessible form. But there is one more question about why church that I would like to answer this morning. It's a question about why church that even after I've been teaching this for a long time, I don't think I fully grasped the answer to. And it comes from how Matthew has set up his gospel. You see, I grew up asking the question, why do I have to go to church? What am I going to get out of church? Why am I having to do this? Maybe you have that same question. And Jesus gives a very valid, very important, very good answer, which is in order for us to have a relationship, you need to meet with me and I need to meet with you. And the means by which we do that is the church. But there's more to the answer of why church. Remember with me how Matthew starts his gospel. We say this as our benediction during this Advent season. Can you put up Matthew chapter 1? Matthew begins with, she will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means what? God with us. The beginning of Matthew's gospel is about God coming to have a relationship with us. This is what we celebrate at Advent. This is what we look back on and what we long for is Jesus' presence with us. That's how Matthew starts his gospel. Now look with me at how Matthew ends his gospel. This is also a benediction that we often say during our Matthew series. Then Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit 
and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely what? I am with you always to the very end of the age. Matthew's gospel ends with God's presence with us. Matthew begins with God's presence with us. Matthew ends with God's presence with us. This is the story from beginning to end. Jesus is God with us. And at the end of Matthew's gospel, Jesus says, I will be with you wherever you go to the end of the age. And the, the question is, how? Matthew 16, 17, and 18 give the answer through the church. Jesus says, where two or three gather together, there I am with you. For years and years and years, I read the Great Commission as simply instructions to a bunch of individuals to go out and make disciples. How are you going to do that without Jesus? So Jesus makes provision. So the second half to the question, why church? The first half is that I need to meet with Jesus. The second answer to that question, this world needs Jesus. Last week we talked about the sin of abortion. We talked about, you know what, we're not going to be doing legislation. We're not going to be talking about legislation and politics and all of that stuff related to abortion. The reason for that is if you're here and you're tempted to have an abortion, if you've gone through and made that terrible mistake in your past, for any unborn babies that are in danger of being aborted, what they need is not better politicians or better laws or better education. What they need is Jesus. That's what this world needs. This world does not, our hope is not in legislation, our hope is not in politics, our hope is not in technology, our hope is not in education, our hope is not in religiosity. What this world needs is Jesus, and the question is, how are they going to get him? Jesus' answer is, is when you gather together as the church, I will be present in your midst, not just for you, but for the whole world. That what, this, that what this world needs is people whose hearts have been transformed. That's what Jesus does. Jesus forgives. Jesus saves. Jesus chases after sinners. Jesus transforms people's lives. That's what leads to better politicians. That's what leads to better laws. That's what leads to better education. That's what be, leads to better civil, civility. That's what leads to better schools. And so Jesus says, look, the church is the hope of the world because I'm present in the church. So Hebrews 10, 25 does say, don't forsake assembling yourselves together. But the thing that had been hidden in plain sight is that from the beginning of Matthew's gospel to the end, from the beginning of Genesis to the end of Revelation, there is one theme and idea relationship with God from the garden to the city from Jesus as a baby to the great commission and the key for where we live now 
is that God has made provision for Jesus to continue to be present with us. We think to ourselves, oh, if only I could have lived at the time of the disciples and seen Jesus. Do you know what the disciples were saying? If only I could live during this time and have Jesus present through the Spirit everywhere. Imagine how their minds would be blown to see that Jesus is present everywhere in the world right now where two or three people are gathered together. This is the hope for the world. This is the hope for what's going on in the Middle East. It's the hope for what's going on in Africa. It's the hope for what's going on in Europe. It's the hope for what's going on in America is that everywhere that I just mentioned this morning, there are going to be two or three people gathering together as the church and Jesus is going to be present. He's gonna save people. He's gonna rescue people. He's gonna transform people. He's gonna build relationships with people. This is the answer to why church. We were designed for relationship. If Christianity was a religion, we could just study the tenets. If it was about rules, we could hand them out and try to obey them. It's about a genuine relationship with God. And Jesus has made that possible through his church. That's why he's building his church. So why church? because it's where you and I get to meet with Jesus and it's where the world gets to meet with him as well. Let's pray together. Lord, I hear the alarm going off. We must be done. (laughs) Thanks for helping us land the plane, Lord, so that we can be done and hear the message. Lord, I do pray that in our hearts uh, that the alarm would go off, uh, that you would awaken us, Lord, to realize that this is a beautiful, beautiful thing you've done for us. So Jesus, all the words in the world are useless unless you manifest and reveal yourself right now. And so, Lord, I pray that you would impress upon our hearts by the power of your Holy Spirit that you are present with us, that you, Jesus, are the hope of the world. And so, God, I thank you uh, for a long journey of coming to learn and value what it is that you're doing here in the church. Lord, forgive your bride. We do lots and lots of things that are not worthy of you. We don't submit. We don't always listen. We run our own ways. We do our own things. We're unnecessarily harsh. We're ignorant of lots of things. But Jesus, here we are, asking you to be present in our midst that you might do for us and for the world what it is that you so desperately long to do. Help us to be the church, Lord, in this place that you want us to be. And may each person who's been here this morning, for those who are watching online, for those, Lord God, who we will come in contact with this week, may they see the glory and the glow of your love on our faces and in our souls. And may they come to know that you, Jesus, are the hope of the world. We pray this in your name. Amen.